Thanks for listening to The Leader. If this is your first time, we're here every day at 4pm with news, analysis, commentary and interviews. Please subscribe and share the show using the hashtag The Leader Podcast. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Can the Education Secretary hold on to his job? He will not be sacked today, at least. But long term, it has to be said that uh, the education sector's future looks extremely bleak. Our political editor, Joe Murphy, on the future of Gavin Williamson following the exams fiasco. And... At the start of this crisis, I said to myself, I'm not emotionally reliant on the approval of strangers to get through the day, but God, I love the approval of strangers. Al Murray on saving comedy after the first major gig in front of an audience in a London venue. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, after the exams disaster, how does Gavin Williamson get out of this? 2024. Good luck. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. When two ministers break ranks and criticise the government's handling of something, you know things have gone badly wrong. Paymaster General Petty Mordaunt and the Ministry of Defence's Johnny Mercer both wrote about their concerns over A-level and GCSE results on social media. It followed a swell of Tory backbenchers demanding a U-turn on how the exams were assessed, but our editorial column says a lot of damage has already been done. It's a hideous mess, and although there was never going to be a perfect solution, the government urgently needs to get a grip. The aim should be to at least ensure that the overall balance of this year's grades matches those of previous years. But even if adjusting results ends up with more favourable grading than in the past, being kind to students in these difficult times seems a lesser problem than inflicting further damage on their lives. If universities find themselves swamped with too many qualified applicants as a result, then the cap on admissions should be lifted too. This country will eventually rely on today's young students and their futures must be protected. Our political editor Joe Murphy is with me now. And Joe, 
Given all the anger from a large section of the public and the criticism from within his own party, can the Education Secretary Gavin Williamson's job survive this? Within the last um, couple of hours, David, number 10 has said that Gavin Williamson has the full confidence of the Prime Minister. And I think that indicates that he will not be sacked today, at least. But long term, it has to be said that uh, the education sector's future looks extremely bleak. And if you talk to Conservative MPs, as I've been doing this morning, they're really unimpressed by the way this has been handled. And uh, I think that if he stays in post in the next reshuffle, there would be something of a rebellion. And I think that this has gone so badly so far that it's probably accelerated the timing of the next reshuffle as well. We know that there are changes on the way about how exams are going, that the exam results are going to be handled. And yet, you know, Northern Ireland came out pretty quickly to say that they were going to move things. We already knew what was happening in Scotland. Why has it taken so long for things to change in England? That's an extremely good question, David. And um, the only answer we were getting from number 10 today when we asked that question and you know, wasn't it true that they'd been warned by some academics that these consequences, that poorer children would be losing out in disadvantaged areas, um, that they'd been warned of that? And we get the same answer, which is, well, we're working hard to ensure the fairest possible system. If you look at those words and read between the lines, implicit in that is an admission that we don't currently have a fair enough system. And you may well ask, well, shouldn't action have been taken before the exam results came out rather than after the exam results to ensure the system was, as the Prime Minister promised it would be, robust? Now, regardless of the changes that do come in, there are still going to be people who have sat their A-levels who may not get those university places, aren't there? There's going to be a lot of anger, probably for quite some time, among a lot of young people. The anger will is, is intense, obviously, at the moment, as we've seen in the demonstrations in London at the weekend. Uh, that's why I suspect the government is strongly tempted to carry out the big U-turn, accepting teacher assessments of people's grades. This is something that a minority of MPs, uh, Tory MPs that is, are currently calling for overtly, um, but the majority are saying that if a robust appeal system can't be done within a matter of hours or, or a day or two at most, then teacher assessments has to be the way forward by default. And I think the MPs who are calling for that know that there is no appeal system that could be instantly made to work. And therefore, by calling for this two-pronged thing, they're really putting the emphasis on the latter and letting the government see the writing on the wall. Next. Before this, the main topic of conversation, I think you could say, was Brexit, on which people were not, had gone through it in different ways. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Whereas this is an actual universal experience. Al Murray, are we ready to laugh at coronavirus yet? And can comedy itself survive to tell the jokes? We 
We often hear about comedians making a comeback, but this time it's comedy itself that's having to find its audience again. Last night at the Grand and Clapham, Al Murray and Jade Adams compared the first big indoor live comedy gig in front of an audience since lockdown began. In our review, the Evening Standard said it was magical. Al Murray's with me now. Al, how was it walking out on that stage and seeing that audience again after so long? It was just, it was just fantastic. Um, I'll admit that yesterday afternoon I had done a gig in a car park, so they weren't the first humans I'd been in front of. But being in a in a beautiful theatre with punters, it was super special, you know. It's, and it's my environment; it's the place I'm used to being. So it was really lovely. How was it? Donna, what kind of restrictions did you have to put in place? Did they affect things at all? No, they didn't seem to. I mean, normally a room that size, you know, would have, I don't know, a thousand people in it. I mean, the last time I played it, um, there were like a thousand people in there and they were all crammed in and rammed in and the bar's busy and all this sort of thing. And so it didn't have that buzz or that vibe, but that was easily made up for by the simple fact that it was happening. And um, one of the things that's definitely the case with the audiences who are coming out to comedy at the moment, they really want to be there. They really are there because they're into comedy and they want live comedy to, to work out and to come through this thing. So literally what they lack in numbers, they make up for with um, how much they're into it, you know, and that for a comic is also, that's a great thing. That's a great thing to be given. It wasn't the normal London thing. Come on. I mean, you had a great lineup. You had yourself there, Shappi Kassandi was there, Nathan Caton's great. Was it easy to get performers to come in and do this? Are there concerns among comics about actually about getting back on stage? I think it's fair to say there is a unanimous feeling that we all really want to get back on stage. No, no two ways about it. Comedians are an interesting breed. We are all different people. And I, whenever you read that sort of, you know, sad clown, depressed comic thing, you think, oh, for God's sake, it's such a cliche. We are all very different types of people but we all have the one thing in common which is that we love being on stage and we're all missing it and at the start of this crisis I said to myself you know I'm not I'm not emotionally reliant on the approval of strangers to um to get through the day you know don't be ridiculous you you're you're a grown man you're bigger than that but having done it a little bit having done sort of a handful of gigs in the last two weeks god I love the approval of strangers <laughs> and um you know i'm a show-off that's why i'm in in show business i'm a show-off long before i'm the sad the sad lonely clown doing the hardest job in the world you know what i mean so i think it's fair to say everyone was desperate and shappy was very emotional last night i mean everyone was really i mean shappy was talking about how she's only really been performing to her dog during lockdown is it possible to come up with new material while all you're doing is sitting in the house? Is there anything that can come out of that? Are there comedic opportunities from lockdown? Well, it has been difficult to find to, to, to actually find a stimulus. I mean, that first three months where every day was identical to every other day. And I'm not used to being at home. That's the other thing. It's the longest I've ever been at home in my life, right? If I'm on tour, I'm here two days a week, one day a week. You know, so that in itself has been a has been not difficult, but like a, like revelatory or like uh, extraordinary. But um, the sheer lack of stimulus of interaction with the rest of the world, I think, has made writing quite difficult. I think clearly some people are finding the uh, are finding there's plenty of juice in the lockdown lemon, as it were. But um, yes, but I, I'm I'm meant to be writing a book, and I found it very very difficult in a way that I wouldn't have done if I was just going about my normal life where lots of stimulus, lots of different people, lots of different places, rather than this room all day, every day. Are audiences ready to laugh at coronavirus yet? Yes. Yes, absolutely. The thing always to bear in mind is people very often process difficult situations 
by laughing at them or laughing around them or laughing to the side of them. What we're not saying is that they're laughing at the people who've suffered from this, but the, the circumstance of a lot of it and, the, and people's reactions to it are, are great fodder actually for comics. Because after all, the really interesting thing about this as an event is we have all gone through this as a country. Whatever we think of it, we have all gone through it. Um, before this, the main topic of conversation, I think you could say was Brexit, on which people were not, had gone through it in different ways. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Whereas this is an actual universal experience. And I think the comparisons to the Second World War have been facile and trite and generally unhelpful, actually. And I've indulged in plenty of them myself. But, but this isn't like doing jokes about a TV programme that, no, that some people have seen and some people haven't seen, or Scooby-Doo, which some people don't remember. This has happened to everybody. There's a deep universality about it. And Dennis Norden used to talk about that. He said, when you, write, when you wrote comedy after the war, you were actually dealing with a completely communal experience that everyone had, everyone had experienced. As, as always with comedy, there's always a serious point to something. Now you were raising money for venues, for comedians, for comics. How much trouble is the comedy industry in? Because we had this massive arts bailout for the government, you're not getting any of it. Um, you know, COVID is remarkable because the thing it's the enemy of, the thing where it does its, where it does its, where it does its survival of the fittest Darwinist bit is social gathering, is people all in a room. I mean, I, I filmed something earlier today, I was being interviewed for a thing in a, in a French theatre, which is a hot black room with benches where you're crammed in, sat next to each other and you're share, everyone's sharing the same air and, and they're sharing the performer's air and spittle. And it's not like, not even like an aeroplane where the air's being filtered and processed and cleaned you are crammed in together that's its problem that's its absolute weakness it's a proper existential threat right now and i think as we go forward as you might end up seeing sort of speakeasies where people sign a disclaimer you might see mask only gigs you know like i, I went out for dinner the other night and they took our temperature on the way in you might see all that start to happen i think you're going to see kind of like covid clubs and all this sort of thing eventually if it can't be figured out how you get a thousand people into a theater with a mask on or whatever because a venue like where we were, like the Clapham Grand, they live on fumes anyway. Arts venues all live on fumes. They all live, their margins are all very late in the, in the percentage. And so if you, if, you reduce the, if you reduce what they can take, they're done for. And, I, and it's all right for the old stages like me, because when it comes back, probably they'll come and see me. One of the interesting things that's happened in, since I started out as a comedian is, you know, the Edinburgh Fringe 20 years, 30 years ago was a small thing and now it's gigantic right but it's the people coming through it's the people who would have had a good edinburgh this summer right now who maybe we never will and and that that's all quite worrying but that's kind of the issue though isn't it i mean it's if you do you feel like you've got a momentum to get things going now that you've done this one you've shown it can be done you've shown others it can be done or is that it is that it i think um i think the real test and i think this is going to be the case nationally the real test is going to be in the autumn into the winter when uh because you know lots of people are improvising lots of stuff that's outdoors and keeping it going that way it's when we can't be outdoors anymore and i think that's going to that's going to test social distancing and everything when we can't be outdoors anymore actually what people are going to put up with anymore how they're going to tolerate it how they're going to deal with it so i think what we were trying to show last night is that that, that is that this industry, people love, people love comedy. I mean, you know, <laughs> they may not like comedians, but they love comedy. 
right? And we were trying to show that we, we're all, you know, we, it wasn't, we didn't wheel on a starving comic with a begging bowl. We said that we're trying to protect a, an infrastructure and a thing that we all rely on, but also the audiences all rely on. Who knows? I mean, I hope, I think maybe, maybe streaming, there's, there's more to come from streaming and watching gigs on Zoom and Twitch and Facebook and things like that. But by God, that doesn't compare to having people in front of you and the, and the actual live, uh, the moment, you know, because stand-up's all about a moment. And the, the, the moment, if it's coming down, the thing through Zoom isn't quite the same moment. And that's The Leader. You can read our review of that gig in the newspaper or online at standard.co.uk. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.